last couple weeks, um, I had to go back and listen to it on the podcast, which, believe it or not, I don't really normally go searching to listen to my father. I know you all love him, but listen, guys. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I listened to him enough. I lived with him. We would beg for this man to spank us over talking to us. Did any of you get raised by a parent that, like, they talked and talked and talked and you attempted to not make eye contact? Because maybe, I know you guys did. Sorry, Kelly. Because I helped, Ray, I helped, I was there. But you know what I mean? Like they just talked and talked and talked and you thought if I don't make eye contact, maybe the conversation will be shorter. None of you were raised by parents like that? Oh, don't you lie. Yeah, you put your hands in the air. You know you had parents like that. Some of you are parents like that. I have become a parent like that. I will talk and talk and talk and talk and I can see it like Hezekiah has zoned out after a minute, like really 30 seconds, Zeke's gone. Hampton will attempt and he stays in the game for a pretty good time, but then he's done. Or how many of them, that when they asked you questions, and you knew this was a trick question, because no matter how you answered, it was potentially going to be wrong. And if you didn't answer, you were wrong. So you had like this constant battle going in your mind, like, do I respond? Do I not respond? Should I, don't make eye contact. Just keep your eyes down. Maybe he'll stop talking. God, just let one of the other kids get in trouble because maybe if they got in trouble, it would like distract him and I could get out of here. Any of you ever live that way? I'm going to be real real with you about my dad. That's what we were praying for in moments, like that rapture would come and take him up and we'd be free of a conversation for five seconds. And my dad just, at times, it's okay if you sit in church and you know he talks a lot. I come by it naturally. But, uh, Anyway, so I had gone to listen to his podcast and listen to him talk, which is not a normal for me. And I was listening to the sermons he's done. He's had four sermons on the best life. If you have missed any of them or you were here, I promise you forgot something. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to him. There was something he put on there. Uh, uh, I don't even remember what week it was because they all started to run together for me. But he talked about, like, thinking before posting. <laughs> Guys, this is, this is a really great, like, spiritual habit, discipline. Think before you post. Not probably, I mean, you should before you drive as well, but you should really think before you post things on social media. I don't know if you know this, but, like, everybody can see that. Everybody, actually, can see what you posted. And if you're real lucky, Facebook will remind you of it later. You don't want your kids to have this. If I could have had my parents on Facebook... 20 years ago, and I could show them pictures and remind them of things, because today they can like be like, oh, we never did that, Heather. Oh, no. Like, if I had had proof of it, y'all don't want to do this with your kids. They're going to remind you of this nonsense. Don't post anything. It's good, good spiritual truth, guys. Change your lives. But uh, anyways, he was talking about this best life and being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I, I would thought for a long time as a kid, and we're talking like this worked well for me as a kid that's been raised in church her whole life. I come from the what would seemingly be the ideal family. I got two parents. They're quasi-sane on their best days. They're pastors, so they believe in Jesus. They got deep faith. That's been a heritage in my family. Um, the, all of these things that would seemingly make my life seem pretty darn easy. To most people. And it was. And I had this idea that when I read this being renewed and being transformed, it had to do with sort of these outside behaviors, these, the way I acted, the way I approached life, whether I was nice or not nice, whether I was good or bad, right or wrong. And it was very black and white. It was super easy. 
And I was raised with the same group of people my entire life. We were in one church. And so I thought I had, like I had, thought I had the disciplines down. I was reading my Bible. I went to church. I'd go to prayer. We'd have, well, Nick and I went to early morning prayer every Friday at 6 a.m., really just because we really like Steve Steele, our youth pastor, and we got to go to McDonald's afterwards and watch him eat, which was always a, that was fun, because he ate weird. Like, he'd eat the sandwich, like, one piece at a time. He'd eat the bread, then he'd eat the, it, it was weird. But anyways, like, we really slept through 6 a.m. prayer and then went to McDonald's. That was the fun part. And every once in a while, my dad gets get super crazy, and we'd, like, walk around the building and pray over it in daylight. You don't want to do this when you're 12, right? You want to, like... Sure, I'm praying when I walk around this building. Listen, you think this church now is weird? You should have been here 15 years ago. They ain't nothing compared to 20 years ago. You should have been in that old building. Them, them people were weird. I'd agree with you. They weird. But anyway, my dad was one of them in his pink top-to-bottom suit, matching shoes, curly hair. I'll find you videos. Mm-hmm. He was something else. Believe in God for a pink Cadillac. Listen. There were some of us had questions, mainly his children. So anyway, so he's doing these weird cuckoo things, but I was raised by a weird cuckoo dad. So it seemed normal to me that you would randomly walk around someone else's business and pray that they would, I guess, go out of business so you could have their building. I don't know why we were praying these things. I just wanted to go to McDonald's. And so we are, like I'm thinking, this is, this is how people act. And then, and if you take your kids to Christian school, I'm not judging Christian school. This was just my experience. I went to Christian school as a freshman in high school. And I very quickly realized that how I thought I should behave was not how they thought I should behave. And now it was not the world that was judging how I was living my life. It was other Christians. And I'm this 14-year-old kid who's been raised by, I mean, he's a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but he seems okay. He seems like a decent person. And now all of a sudden, I'm sitting in Bible class, and they're saying, if you go to the Father's house, you go to a cult, and Pastor Quinn's the Antichrist. And I'm going, is he? I don't think so. I don't actually think he is. And then they would start telling, they literally would stand in class and tell us this in Bible class, that we levitated and played with snakes. And I, being the really quiet mouth child that I am, decided to raise my hand and inform them that, no, my mom's actually terrified of snakes, so if we had snakes, she wouldn't go to church there. Because we put a dead snake on her table one time, and she, her crazy popped off in ways we had never seen. And so we actually don't have snakes, in case you're wondering. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches. I got eight detentions out of that statement. Eight of them. Eight ninth hours. Why would you really want to be around me anymore? You obviously don't like me. And I, I remember wearing, <laughs> oh, God. So remember when silk shirts with shoulder pads were cool? Don't, don't shout me down. You know some of you women wore them, okay? So as a ninth grader, first of all, there, there's so much wrong with this statement. As a ninth grader with a silk shirt that had shoulder pads in it, they made me tuck it into leggings, Oh, yeah, come on, ladies. You, know, you don't tuck nothing into leggings. And if you do, someone should be your friend. Because you should not tuck nothing into leggings. Ain't nobody need to see that. I don't care if you are in ninth grade. Untuck that shirt. But anyways, like it wasn't because I wasn't covered up enough. I didn't have my shirt tucked in, and thus I was unholy. I got a T-shirt from my, uh, I don't know, probably one of those. We went to a bunch of Christian concerts, and it, was, it had the devil on it, and it had a verse. And it said hell. I had to turn it inside out. It was a verse from the Bible, guys. I had to turn it inside out because the word hell was bad. And I was like, I'm really confused. For the first time in my life, my Christian faith, I was confused by it. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why, why my shirt being untucked or not untucked or why my t-shirt that had a scripture on it had to be turned inside out. And why was I wrong? Because 
We prayed in tongues, and apparently if you pray in tongues, you're supposed to do it in a closet. Last time I checked, coming out of a closet was a bad deal, but for whatever reason, if you pray in tongues, you should do it in a closet. You cannot do it in your living room. Okay, guys, this is a thing. I don't know why it's a thing, but it was a thing. And all of a sudden, all of these ways that I had lived life, all of these behaviors that I thought was okay at 14, I'm being told, are all wrong. Do you know how confusing that is to anybody, let alone a 14-year-old, that where I went to church was wrong, how I went to church was wrong, what I wore to church was wrong, what kind of instruments. You could only use a certain amount of instruments. You couldn't use all the instruments. You could had to pray. Listen, I'm just happy if people pray. I don't know about you, but I listen to my four-year-old pray, and I find it to be the sweetest prayer in the world. And he uses very little tongues, and half of it I don't understand. But I sit there and I go, I just love that his heart, that where he's at, I think that's what Christ meant when he talks about it is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside. When he would look at the Pharisees and he'd say, I don't care how you try to show off, how you post yourself on Facebook or Instagram, but it actually matters how you act in your heart, what you believe in your heart. And transforming of the mind as I've gotten older, I've realized has very little to do with Sometimes always the behaviors, that's a nice product of. But it never started with my behaviors. It always started with sort of this deep understanding that was happening down inside of me. The Hebrew word for mind in the Bible is soul. That when we talk about this mind that we're supposed to be talking about, we're actually talking about our souls are supposed to be renewed and transformed. And I know in church, well, we're already in church, so our souls are renewed, right? Because we're here. And we have the scripture verses. We post them on Instagram. We've got the t-shirts. We've got a coffee mug. We might even have them tattooed on our bodies because, I mean, by his stripes we are healed and all things are possible for those who believe. And we, we can quote scriptures, but do we honestly believe them to the depths of our souls? That when faced with real life circumstances, I actually believe that God wants to do me good and not harm. So I know, again, we're the holy, sanctified people. We didn't stay at home. So I'm just going to bear with me because there's people out there that need this in their lives. And I know these are not for you guys. But, I mean, some of us end up like Elijah when we're in that cave. We throw our hands up in the air and we want to give up. We're frustrated. We're beat down. That God, just take me now. Why are you letting this happen? I know holy, sanctified people don't ask questions like that. Like, God, why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why did you let this happen to me and that happen to me? And why do I feel this way? And why do I... But we don't ask those questions when we're, when we're good Christians. But, you know, those of us that, and I'll just put myself in that place for the sake of you guys. I mean, I'll just sacrifice for you for a second. Pretend like maybe I struggle with these inner turmoils of maybe not feeling like I'm good enough worthy enough. But in church, we, we kind of like to put those poser faces on and act like we don't struggle with that. Act like we got it all together. I find that people that have been through some really tough things in their lives, you can only pose so long and then it's like that mask gets ripped off whether you want it to or not. 
and everybody sees you. Reminds me of the garden when Adam and Eve attempted to cover themselves. We as Christians sometimes attempt to cover ourselves. We start grabbing for things that might keep people from seeing the nakedness of who we really are. But if you live long enough or you experience a few things, what you realize is God will rip that cover off and everybody will see you for exactly who you are. Which sometimes can be the greatest fear in our lives. It's that maybe I'm, people are going to find me out. They're going to know I'm, I'm not that, that great. I'm not that good. We go through this moment where we have to recognize that regardless of everything I try to do, attempt to do, that letting go of control and allowing God to really be in control of our lives, that's a scary place to really be. We want to pray the prayer that your will would be done, but to actually walk that out every day. 1 Peter chapter 5 told the first service, that verse 7 is the one I'd really like to just stick on because it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Cast all those worries, those stresses, those feelings of unworthiness, those insecurities, those things that you try to cover, just cast it all on him because he cares about you. The problem is we got to back up to verse 6 because there's a comma that separates verse 6 and verse 7 and not a period. It says, humble yourselves. Oh, well, not. I thought this was a grace-giving church where it doesn't matter what I do. It's all on what he does, and so I don't have to do anything. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your cares and anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in him, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Many of us spend too much of our lives trying to perform for the people around us, so we get likes and retreats. And it's not that specific. We just would like people to like us and affirm us and know that we're good. There's a story in the Old Testament about Moses and the Israelite children who were not the smartest people. Mm-mm. Listen, guys, they were losing. They were like a few french fries short of a happy meal. It took them 40 days to make an 11-day journey, guys. 40 days. 40 days. Look at your neighbor. Say, relax. Relax. It hasn't taken you 40 years yet. If you're older, over 40, I'm sorry. You, you've apparently, there you go. Kelly's in the backhand. You're with him. He'll start a small group next week. For those of you over 40, you've hit the, no, you haven't hit the end of the mark. But just rest assured, the Bible is full of people who get it wrong over and over and over again. And these are the chosen people of God. These are good Hebrew children that are reminded every single year through Passover on what God's done for their people. They're told over and over again the stories of how good God's been to them. How many of you know you can stand in church and hear all the good things and yet not believe it in your heart? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about being transformed in the deepest part of you. 
is to not be able just to post the scripture verse and put it on your t-shirt or your coffee mug, but actually believe on the inside of you that he's met all of my needs. That he actually will provide for me. He'll protect me. He means good for me. That even, there's a, my favorite verse in the Bible, because I feel like it is the verse of my life, is that all things that were meant to do you harm, he will turn around for your good. That regardless of what you're going through, he will. How many of you actually believe that on the inside of you? When you're faced with trials and tribulations, when you're struggling because the bank account says this and your kids are doing this and this is falling apart and work feels overwhelming and I feel stressed out and anxious and I don't even really know why I feel stressed out and anxious. It just feels like everything makes me stressed out and anxious. Do you find yourself in those places when you begin to isolate yourself, remove yourself? You start blaming other people? Getting angry and you don't even know why you're angry, <laughs> but you're real mad. Your kids call you out on it because your kids call you out on being angry. My, Hezekiah, I'm losing my mind one Sunday afternoon after I had done children's church. I don't even know what I was mad about. I would assume Sean could tell me. There you go. <laughs> he remembers. But when you're out of your mind angry, do you get like an hour later and have no idea what you said or why you were so angry? Please don't shout me down when you people acting like you're holier than thou. Come on, with your bougie blessed selves, you know what happens to you too. So I lose my mind Sunday afternoon after being super children's pastor back here and little Hezekiah, who I don't think legitimately listens to anything. You really have to meet Hezekiah. Like I really don't think he listens to anything because listen, there is music going off in that boy's head and he is bebopping through life. And if you don't have a basketball in your hand, he don't really have any time for you, really. And so he comes walking out, and I'm in this living room, and he's sitting out there, and he stands in the living room, and I'm like, yeah, but what do you need? And he goes, Mom, I've been listening to you out there. We, I have this phrase called freaking out in the love zone because it's with the people you love you freak out the most, right? None of you do this? Yeah. So he goes, Mom, I, I could hear you freaking out in the love zone. It's a good thing Dad loves you. You're right. It's a really good thing. And that your dad is like this all the time. And I said, uh-huh, because Sean just said, how many of you are really good husbands and your wives freak out in the love zone and you just sit there and listen? You don't, like, I can see Sean. Like, he's like, if I don't make eye contact, maybe she'll shut up. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be like, he'd be like, do I move my hands? Do I say something? Do I not? Like, he, now he just, like, sits there <laughs> and does nothing. And that maybe I'll just shut up and go away. But he's like, she'll wear out sooner or later. It sometimes takes me a while, guys. And so anyway, so I'm, I said, yeah, buddy, I'm sorry. He goes, well, I was sitting out there and I was praying in my mind for you like you've taught me to do, Mom. And I just was praying for you. The prayers just, well, they weren't working. And so you told us back here, and I don't know if you know this, but um, our bodies, this is what I think is so cool about these bodies that our God has created for us, is there is a hormone that if you get a 20-second hug, that you will, a, a hormone will be released in your body, and it is your love and safety hormone, and you will calm down from a 20-second hug. I have forewarned your children not to do this on their siblings, like tackle them and try and give them a hug and be like, I'm trying to, Pastor Heather said, because they might get kicked. But um, I have told them, you know, if you could give your parents a hug when they're freaking out in the love zone and so Zeke comes over and he goes so mom since my prayers and my head weren't working I thought I'd just come hug you and I I can't remember if it was for 20 seconds or 200 seconds so I'm just gonna hold you till you tell me you feel okay <laughs> let me tell you how fast you'll come out of your freak out zone when your kids call you on it but there's something so honest about when you get to the end of your rope 
you can't put on the face anymore. God will show up in your six-year-old and he'll wrap his arms around you and he'll remind you that you're loved and you're safe and they're doing something in that gymnasium right now. I told you. Make you remember when you want to kill them in some moments that you love them. God will show up in the most unusual ways to get our minds to line up with who he says about us. Most of us, though, get so caught up in the patterns that we get... It sounds nice to say cast your cares. Any of you who come to the altar, cast your cares, and you get in your car and, like, they're still there and they brought friends with them? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about, like, like worries and anxiousness and... You know what I mean? Like, why? I thought I left this at the altar. I thought I crucified this with Jesus. What happened? Why do I still feel this way? I'd like to tell you that whatever, two or three weeks ago, that was the last time I have freaked out in the love zone. It has not. Mm-hmm. Nope, nope. Sure hasn't been. I feel that sometimes we don't cast our cares because we don't actually believe God might really care for us. We don't actually believe in the depths of who we are. So how then can I actually change my thought patterns? Can I just hold them out there and be honest with them? Can I drag them into the light no matter how ugly they are? Can I drag them out into the light and just be like, man, I actually really feel this way. I am having these thoughts and I know they're not God's thoughts. But these are the thoughts I'm having. This is the way I feel. You want to know why suicide's at its all-time high? Because people are scared to death to put their thoughts out in the light. And if the enemy can get you to live in darkness, I'm not talking like you're smoking, drinking, and running with the people that do. I'm talking about in your mind. Put you in a mental wilderness where you get isolated, you're frustrated, you're disappointed, you're distracted. He can take you out. You see, I've always misread that verse about how he prowls around like a roaring lion. You know, he can't actually devour me. He wants to. But the power that I have is the enemy actually cannot take me out. That I have more power in the words in my mouth than the enemy has in his pinky toe. That he has no ability to take me out. He runs around and it sounds really loud between these two ears. The things he says to me, the things that I believe about myself are really loud. When we say run at the roar, listen, I didn't put my bracelet on this morning. That sounds really pretty. We were sitting beside uh, Miss Vicky and family members yesterday and they knew the struggles we'd been through with Sean's health and so they're asking Sean about their health and they were like, man, that's so awesome that he's officially in remission. I said, uh, yeah, what sucks is the residue that gets left in your head. Let me tell you, when they give your 33-year-old husband a cancer diagnosis, let me tell you what you think about every time he says he doesn't feel very good. Let me tell you what your fear is every time you have to go in for another scan in six months. It's not that great. You got to get in the car and you turn on worship music and I don't know, say whatever prayers you want to say. And listen, I don't care if beads, the sign of the cross, tongues, I'll use any of it if I think it's going to help me keep my sanity from here to Wichita. 
because that is a long ride. And then, and then, because doctors are even more fantastic, you have to wait a week and a half for the results. So you hold your breath. I know you want pastors that sit here and tell you it's easy. It ain't easy. It's not easy every six months to get that letter in the mail that says he's going in for blood work and he's going for a scan. I want to stand on the word of God and the promises of God, but that's hard work. It's not easy to stand on the promises of God, friends. It's not a scripture we post on a Facebook posting. It's standing in the midst of it and looking at each other and going, listen, babe, we know God's got this. He's been faithful to us. We had this scan and we've done this and we've done this. And the Bible says, David said he had to remind himself of the faithfulness of God. That he had to continually remind himself. You know what I think journaling is so good for us? Because you can go back and read. God's been faithful here. And he's been faithful here. And not only has he been faithful in my life, I'm part of a bigger story than me. And God was faithful to Abraham. And he was faithful to Isaac. And he was faithful to the Israelite children and their stupidity. And he was faithful to Moses. And he was faithful to David. And he was faithful to Mary. And he was faithful to Peter. Listen, Peter was the most bipolar triggered individual in the scriptures he freaked out all the time he told christ i'll never deny you and literally we were like it wasn't far later guys like the next day you ever come to church and tell jesus i'll never do it again i'll never do it again i promise if you'll change this in my life i'll never do it again and then you do it again feel rest assured you're as good as peter and the bible says that he was his rock and he will build his church on that guy The whole church is built on a trigger-happy, emotional, bipolar individual. But God was faithful to Peter, and he'll be faithful to you. But you have to make up in your mind that even though I can't see it with my natural eyes, and it was hard to stare at this family who's watching one person take their last breaths. It's real hard to stand in that room and feel sorry for yourself. It's real hard to sit beside a family member that's literally watching their family member take their last breaths and feel sorry that maybe you got to do a scan three months from now. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord. I got breath today. My hands work today. My voice works today. A rock isn't taking my place today because I'm at least going to shout about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God in the land of the living. And Father, I'm not sitting in a hospital bed breathing my last breath. So Father, I will stand today and I will worship you and I will thank you. I will be grateful that he is free of cancer today. Father, I'll be grateful that today I can stand and walk. I'll be grateful today that I'm standing in a holy place. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I don't know what another scan's going to do. But what I know is today I've got today and I'm promised today so what am I going to do with today many of us turn that movie on in our mind and we get past we get caught in our past or the worries about our future and let me tell you church you don't need to be caught in the real of your past if there is anybody I sat with a group of women this week I told them about my freak out on in the love zone two weeks ago. And I was like, well, no, this was another one. Listen, guys, I'm full of them. If you spend much time with me, I'll just tell you everything that's wrong with me. You don't have to hate me for what you think you don't like me. I'll just tell you what you shouldn't like about me, actually. But anyway, so two weeks ago Sunday, yeah, it was just two weeks ago Sunday, had a full temper tantrum in this building on a Sunday morning. You can ask Lucas. He walked in on it. Wasn't cute? Mm -mm. 
I got here at four o'clock in the morning because my mother-in-law and don't sleep very often. And so I come in to work on children's church because I hadn't had time in my week. And so I'm here at four and I got my children's church sermon ready. And then I was going to walk around, make sure all the classrooms were ready. And I also run the child care center. And so I'm walking through classrooms and I'm frustrated about how the building looks and what didn't get taken care of and what didn't get done. And um, Here, you can join in with me. So I walk into this room of toddlers, and if you've met Ashley's daughter, she's the one I think of because Ashley deserves every ounce of her child. How many of you as, like my mom laughs at me when my kids do things. Like there's something that, I think there's something sick and twisted about it actually. Like she watches my oldest be so blunt honest with me, and my mom sits there and giggles. And she's like, you deserve every ounce of this. Do any of you others, grandparents, like feel joy when you realize your kids are reaping what they sowed? Listen to me. That is not nice. But anyways, I'm totally saying to Ashley now, she deserves every ounce of her little one. And that kid is everywhere. And she's our climber. So she ends up in places that I don't even know how humanly possible she gets up there. But she figures out. And so I walk into our toddler room. And we as genius parents, adults, put a table beside little chairs, and then we stack these bed mat things, and then there's a cabinet. And all I can think about is this one who's literally busted her face open in the children's nursery on two occasions, climbing. Like, I can just see her climbing. I'm like, why did we put, we, like, gave them a ladder. And then we're going to be mad at the kids when they climb the ladder. And I'm like, we gave them the ladder, guys. And so I'm rearranging rooms, and by the time I get to this side, and these are adult decisions. I can give kids grace. It's the adults I struggle with giving grace to. Um, and so anyway, so I get to the other side of the room and something happens and I'm now throwing, literally. I know none of you freak out like this. You keep it all bottled up, don't you? I'm throwing one of those green chairs literally across the room. I won't tell you anything else I was doing. So I told this group of women, we did a small group this week, I was like, I should be disqualified from preaching Sunday actually because of how I acted two weeks ago. Like it, there should be like a, you know, if you behave like this, you're just out. Guys, I should have been out a long time ago. When you really realize that, listen, I'm not worthy to stand in this position. I'm not worthy for all the grace that God's put into my life. But let me tell you, when you recognize how good God's been in your life, how you should have been counted out, how you shouldn't have what you have, how you shouldn't even have the husband you have and the kids you have and the life you have, let me tell you, you can't help but tell everybody about the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Because when you realize you don't even deserve the goodness and the faithfulness of God, God will show up in your life and remind you it's not about your shortcomings. It's not about your failures and what you think you've done because it's about a God that stood on a cross, hung on a cross and took your shame, your guilt, your condemnation. You won't care who's around. You won't care how silly you look. You'll find a way to teach four-year-olds or 44-year-olds. You'll clean bathrooms, stack chairs. You won't care what you're doing as long as you can live your life in a place that just says, God, I'm just thankful. I'm grateful that you picked up this person that was not worth it and you put me in a place that I don't deserve he'll put a robe on you and put a ring on you and you'll you'll realize that you are the prodigal son you're the one that wasted it all away and God will show up again in your life but listen church you gotta be honest with that you gotta be honest with the feelings you're having It didn't happen once in my life. It seemingly happens 
on a daily basis, sometimes multiple times in one day. In one day, I have the ability to screw it up. And God will show up in your life. He'll remind you if you just be willing to be honest. I sat this week and I knew I was going to teach on being mindful, being aware, being intentional and deliberate. Do you know that you as a being were created? No other creature has the ability to be as deliberate and intentional with the choices that we have on how we react to the situations in our lives. We give that responsibility away to a lot of other people and a lot of other things, but the truth of the matter is we actually have so much innate ability created inside of us that allows us to look back on the choices we're making and the situations we're facing and make a choice. I find the story of the Garden of Gethsemane to be such a pure picture of the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ. To sit in a moment when he was facing the cross because of the choices of the people around him. Listen, church, we are all victims of our own choices and sometimes of the choices of those that have been in our lives. The power we have is we have the ability to choose how we're going to respond to those. Are we going to respond in love or out of fear? Most of us, when you freak out, you're crazy, pop off, you're reacting from fear. You start blaming, pointing fingers, isolating yourself. But if you find a place to live in love, to know that God loves you and even loves someone else's silliness or even stupidity, you find a place where you can stand and God will begin to renew those things on the inside of you. And it won't happen overnight. It won't happen in one moment. I married a man who um, played a lot of sports. I don't know what that's like. He exercised a lot. Also, have no idea what that's like. And so when I first married him or we were first dating, um, he was pretty well... Uh, he had been. He worked out every day. Any of you are athletes, you would know this. So they, I mean, he got paid to throw a ball, and so, anyways, he had to keep his body in certain shape. And so, over the course of the last ten years, that has not necessarily been the case. There's no judgment on my part because I got nothing to say about it. But um, I would assume because I learned how to, I don't know, make the don or not donuts, bread that his grandmother makes, and um, he had a heavy carbohydrate diet. It changed. His body physique. And um, this week he decided to go work out again with uh, Brian Miller, who um, happens to still be in sports because he coaches in sports. And um, I have giggled at Sean all week because he can't literally, um, I had to fold his collar down because he can't put his arm, he can't raise his arms. So he was not not worshiping to be disrespectful. He can't lift his arms right now. Last night in church, somebody was nice enough. He's trying to get rid of the lucid acid. What? This is how much I know, the lactic acid. So he was laying on the floor with his feet against the wall, like trying to break it down, and someone told him to eat, drink grapefruit juice. So he's going to go buy a bunch of grapefruits today? Listen, guys, his muscles, I'm like, maybe, maybe, you should have started. 
Maybe don't go work out with Brian your first week. <laughs> Maybe you should have, like, worked yourself into this a little bit, right? Um, and he's like, he had told me muscle memory. And I'm like, I think your muscles, like, they didn't just forget. Like, <laughs> your muscles are going, you ain't never worked me out before. Like, that's not just a little forgetfulness. That's, like, as far as from the east is to the west. Like, that's kind of God's kind of forgiveness right there is what your muscles have uh, done for you. But uh, so he's, he's really trying you know, it's going to take him a bit. It's going to take his muscles a bit to remember what he used to do with them. When you have developed habits in the way you think and the things you think about so long, listen, that's muscle memory. And if you want to break those habits, do you know you have the ability to every 10 seconds change what you're thinking about? Every 10 seconds, you could take captive that thought and think, why am I thinking this thought? Why do I feel the way I feel? What is it about this situation that has me so upset, has me sad, has me? Just take a minute and be intentional and deliberate. And when you make a habit of that, it's hard at first to think about what you're thinking about. Just think about it. You're going to be exhausted about the fact that you're going to think about what you're thinking about. That just sounds exhausting. You're already doing it. So if you could just turn it into a positive thing, I promise you there will be a moment. Sean just keeps telling me, just wait three months, babe. Just wait, babe. Three months from now, babe, three months from now, I'm going to look really good. You know, you can do that about your thinking. Listen, guys, I know I think crazy. I know I talk crazy. But listen, three months from now, you're going to be real impressed with the way I think and talk. I'm really sorry. One story came out about you, but it's just one. I threw myself under the bus way more. But you know, three months from now, if you'll be intentional about the way you think, we say the promises of God like they're a possibility. We don't speak them like they're actually ours. We recite the verse that God will give us more than we could ever ask, think, or imagined. We say it as a possibility, not as a promise. I believe that God is calling for his people to stand up and own their birthright and know that I can actually have all that God says I can have, that I can be all God says I can be. But I got to take ownership of the things I'm thinking about. Father, I just ask that today, you would cement in our lives and our minds and the deepest part of who we are who you say we are not what the world says not what sometimes we think but just who you've called us to be I told this in the first service the Bible talks to us about an inheritance and how we have an inheritance of God and it has never really registered for me because, I mean, if you've met my parents, like, we're playing hot potato with their house right now, my parents, because my dad always thinks way too far in advance for things. And so he's anticipating that when he retires, which one of us kids gets his house. And he's doing that because my dad doesn't have a bank account for us to inherit. This is why I've had a hard time understanding inheritance because there's nothing to inherit from him outside of his house that's just full of stuff. 
And uh, so we keep, oh no, Stephen, you can have mom and dad's house. Really, I, I'm fine, you can have it. And Stephen's like, oh no, Heather, really? Like we can give it to Nick, he can have it. He can clean that mess out. And my, if you've ever been to my parents' house, it is, my mom's not one of those people that decorates uh, because it all matches and goes together. My parents' house is just full of stuff that all has a story. Everything in their house has a story. To the point that they've got this, and I'm going to do this this week, so if you'd like to follow me on Instagram, please do. I'm going to take pictures of the random things my parents have in their house. Because my mom has this bedazzled Kleenex box thing. Like, it doesn't, it's not actually a Kleenex box. It sits over a Kleenex box, and it's straight up bedazzled, guys. It's, and it weighs a solid 35 pounds. And every grandkid has at some point yanked it off of her table and hit themselves in the head. You would think my mother would move it. Oh no, it has a story. Who needs a bedazzled Kleenex box? There's also this like golden pigeon. Um, you can put money in it. Like, who needs a golden pigeon? No one. Not like a real golden pigeon. We're just talking like a spray painted golden pigeon. It was my great grandmother's. You needed that, didn't you? So, like, we, we'll just go through my parents' house. We're like, Dad, what? You have 95 clowns because you did one sermon on a clown and now he has all these clowns and eagles but he knows every single person he knows who gave him some of the clowns are creepy guys okay when my dad passes away i'm sorry if you're watching dad i'll give you one that's what's gonna like you're going away gift from his funeral it's gonna be i'm gonna give you a clown or an eagle that's what's gonna happen so feel free i'm not even lying none of us want them they're creepy looking especially not blaine maybe we'll send them all to blaine because he's terrified of clowns but anyways there's this rocking chair in my parents' basement. It's my great-great-grandfather Noah's rocking chair. And as I was trying to really comprehend this idea of inheritance, because my parents, like I said, don't have a bank account I'm inheriting, I began to realize the things I would inherit from him. My great-great-grandfather Noah was the first preacher in the Moore family. My dad knew Grandpa Noah, but not real long, because he was obviously older, but his grandmother, Jessie, my great-grandma, Jessie, was the kind of woman that just prayed and brought the house down. Grandma Cindy reminds me of my great-grandma, Jessie. I can remember being a very young child, and she had this big um, country kitchen. It was, it was huge. It had one of those uh, stoves that, like, the black pot sat in. It wasn't an actual stove. It was those, yeah, I could walk in it as a child if the fire wasn't lit. And she would walk the floor of that kitchen and she wore one of those white, uh, like, terry cloth aprons and she would ring it and pray. She prayed over everything. She prayed when we went out to get the eggs out of the chicken coop. She prayed, she prayed really long prayers right before dinner. Um, she just prayed all the time. And she would look at my dad from a very young age and she called him Dwayne because she couldn't say Quentin. His name's Quentin Dwayne. You're welcome. And she'd be like, but she said it kind of funny because she... <laughs> Indian from the sticks of Oklahoma. So she's Dwayne. <laughs> My mom says it really well. Dwayne, <laughs> get away from them drunk Indians. You're going to be a preacher one day. My dad had this real bad stutter as a child. It's told from a young age he'd never accomplish anything or be anything. And my great grandma, Jessie, who didn't have three dimes to put in a card, would look at my dad and say, You're going to preach the gospel. I was raised by a dad. gave an inheritance of words 
some of you, he's spoken a word in your life. The inheritance I'll get from him is the words he's spoken inside of me. The prayer life he's prayed around me. The understanding that a name means everything. See, I didn't, wasn't raised by a dad that told me the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was raised by a dad that told me about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Three Hebrew boys that were given names from God that the world would try to change. And from a young age, my dad would look at me and my siblings and say, the world will try and name you all kinds of things, but you remember what God says about you. So when Sean and I went to name our children, man, we prayed over that. Hoxton, we named Hoxton. We named him after a verse that was his mother's favorite verse. Sean tattooed it on his body and it says, those that wait upon the Lord will be renewed. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. When they tell you your child will never walk, he'll never talk. Let me tell you, it sounds real pretty to say we waited on the Lord. Let me tell you, it sucks to wait on the Lord. It's hard. It's frustrating. You get aggravated, your crazy old pop off, you'll lose your mind waiting on God. But if you will hold steadfast and you will wait on the Lord, now when that kid runs across the room, I know that it is only by the grace of God that he's running. We put Keith in his middle name because his grandfather, Grandpa Don, was a man of faith. Grandpa Don got everything he had because he had faith. And we wanted him to know that it's going to take faith. He's our only child that has two middle names and we named him Noah. Hoxton, Noah, Keith Faulkner. When they told you you wouldn't walk, buddy, you walked. Because not just your mom and dad, but a community of people stood in faith and waited for a miracle to take place in your body. But it wasn't just this place. There have been generation after generation that have stood on the Word of God. And you are who you are today, not just because of your parents, but because of a community of believers because of a generation of men that have stood and believed God. Church, we need to rise up and own the birthright, the inheritance that we have as the children of the Most High God, that no matter what this world wants to name us, our names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that you are the God that saves, the God that protects, the God that heals, the God of miracles, that Father, no matter what it looks like from our physical eyes, Father, we know that you are a good, good father. So this morning you get the opportunity to come, to come to the altar and be reminded that you were bought into this family with blood. You are blood related. You're not an outlaw or an in-law. You are blood bought into a family and you have an inheritance. You have a birthright. You have been signed, sealed, you have a name that says you are chosen, blessed, good.